everybody. We're in 1 Kings. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. Bible app. I'm just thinking what these what announcements we should make. I'm looking around and most of you were here this morning, not all of you, just a couple. What is the, uh, thank you. I just remember the annual ski trip to Pat's Peak that's on Saturday, March 17th. Calvary Chapel Boston Men's Retreat, sign up, sign up in the back table. And then, uh, that's on a, a Friday and a Saturday, but in the, the Thursday and the Friday, so it'd be Thursday the 12th and Friday during the day on the 13th, is going to be uh, a ministry meeting for, go back, okay. It's going to be like a ministry conference for anyone who is uh, sort of interested and the heart of a minister, and that's uh, going to uh, Don McClure and Lewis Neely are going to be uh, leading that. Also, remember the talent show that's Saturday, April 28th. You guys okay back there? Okay. First Kings. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that uh, we can begin and end our day just in the Word of God, and we just thank you so much, Lord God, for the fact that your Word, Lord, just from the beginning to end, that we can just fill our life with it, and Lord, through it and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know whether to go to the right or the left, to stop or to continue moving, Lord, sometimes even to go back. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you just do a work in our heart this evening. God, as we begin this, uh, this new book, Lord God, and Father, we again, Lord, say it often, but we came here this evening to change, to be built up into your word, Lord, and to change, to seek you, to open up our lives to you, Lord, to submit to you, Lord, to seek you. God, we came here believing that even as we seek you, Lord, we will find you. Even as we knock, the door will be opened. Even as we ask, it will be answered to us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you sure you guys are okay back there? <laughs> okay. First Kings, chapter 1, a continuation of the life of David story in the life of David, and uh, we'll see here that, you know, David had a very stormy life in so many ways, and it uh, sort of ends in a storm here. We uh, finished out the last, uh, the last lesson really in 2 Samuel uh, with, we're also in, in, in First uh, Chronicles, I believe with sort of the dying words of David. Now we're just going to go here. And the, 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 basically, the last events of his life where Solomon uh, takes over. It says in verse 1, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young a woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her... Uh, stand before the king and let her care for him and let her lie in your bosom that our lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite 
and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. And so uh, this is a, a pretty uh, incredible picture that uh, you have of David here. And David, uh, when I think of David, I just think of this picture of power and strength and, and might and courage. And uh, here uh, the, the body had just uh, taken its toll uh, on his life. Uh, he is uh, 70 years of age here. And he is, uh, he's, you could say he was burnt out. <clears throat> he had lived a, a full and exciting and demanding life. And uh, he's sort of burnt out here. And, uh, you know, he didn't, the thing that you can say of David, he didn't rust out. In other words, he didn't sort of just, uh, you know, live this, uh, you know, meaningless, dull life and just sort of rust out. He burnt out. And, uh, um, and now there's this picture now he, his body can't even uh, retain its warmth. And he, no matter how many uh, blankets uh, they put on him, he couldn't retain his warmth. And uh, they didn't have uh, hot water bottles then, and they didn't have uh, heating blankets, and uh, uh, they didn't have any uh, kind of thing like that. So um, what they did is, uh, it says he uh, listened to uh, some of his uh, counselors, some of the younger men who were his counselors, and, and they they came up with this idea that um, they would th they would get a, a, a woman, uh, and she would sleep at his feet, and she would uh, w you know allow him to be warm. It says though he never knew her, meaning he never had sexual intercourse uh, with her. And uh, you know you c it's it's interesting you know when you look at things like this and you wonder. Uh, we're, we're reading it in the year 2007, and uh, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, is this sin? Was this right? Is this right for him to do something like this? And probably the same could be said of, you know, any of the number of things that David did. I mean, he practiced polygamy and, uh, and things like this. And, and I think the conclusion that, um, that I feel is right is although it was socially acceptable at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily morally right at the time. In other words, uh, he, I, I believe that even David knew uh, that what he was doing in these certain, uh, when he did these kind of things, he was, he, he probably knew that what he was doing uh, was was wrong. I mean, he he was aware of Adam and Eve. He was aware of one man, one uh, woman, and but you, you see him taking counsel from uh, some of the. Uh, some of the servants who were younger, and uh, you know, he, he falls into a trap that I think many people uh, fall into when they grow older. You know, when people are young, they fall into the trap of not re or rejecting the advice of people who are uh, older, uh, and that's wrong. And there's many proverbs. If you want to read through the proverbs about that, uh, young man, listen to your uh, uh, listen to your father. And, and don't depart from his words. But, you know, there's, there's a, 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 a thing that also happens with the elderly, and they err often because um, oftentimes they accept the advice of the young. And, and a, a lot of times it's because they're just too weary and t uh, tired to fight the, uh, fight the flow. You know, in society, the styles of young people, the influence of young people, and, and, and there's just an enormous pressure just, just, to, just to give in. And uh, uh, so oftentimes, um, you, you, you see the, you know, when you need sort of the older community to, to stand up with their wisdom, I mean, they know better and stand up what is right, uh, you see them sort of, sort of just caving in. That's probably what, what uh, what David di does here, uh, some people think in verse 5, this is actually chastening. I, I personally wouldn't agree with that, but it's entirely possible. Verse 5 is placed right after verse 4. It says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king, 
and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And uh, remember Absalom, when he did his rebellion, he had 50 men run before him. And it says in verse 6, And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. So uh, i got to tell you, this uh, woman, Haggith, uh, she must have been uh, some kind of woman because Absalom uh, was uh, known as uh, the be most beautiful man of the time. And uh, he dies, and, and this guy, Adonijah, comes up, and uh, he's uh, looking the same way. And, uh, you know, it says here that, that David uh, had not rebuked him at any time, saying, why have you done so? In other words, he, he basically never, ever disciplined his, his children. And uh, it's interesting, this is one of the things that, uh, we had talked about when we were talking about Gideon, who had uh, many wives and concubines, and I mean, he had so many children living in so many places, and uh, discipline gets to be really, really hard and difficult when there is polygamy going on because there's all the weirdness that you have from your different wives, and you're always trying to, you, you wind up just. Uh, not that I have personal experience from this, but um, you see from the Bible that, th th that a lot of the time it's just spent in appeasing one woman uh, in the face of another, and, and, and the kids are neglected. And uh, it is amazing that, you know, so oftentimes when there's a lack of discipline, and a lot of times a lack of discipline is the result of, of fear on the part of the parents, you know, I don't want this kid to dislike me. I don't want them to reject me. Uh, I, I, I want them to to like me. I want to be their friend, and I, you know this type of thing. Uh, it, it is so interesting, and this happens so much that uh, a lack of discipline leads to the very rejection that they were trying to avoid. The father was trying to avoid by not disciplining. And, to be, and, and, and here is a case in point, and this happens uh, so often, and it, it's amazing the, the times that I've seen this type of thing is, is so oftentimes the, the parents scratch their head and they say, how could this have ever happened? How, you know, I, I, I was always so kind and so nice and, and, and so loving to my kids uh, when they were growing up. How could they be rejecting me? How could they be hating me at this point? Uh, well... Uh, instinctively, uh, I, I feel a, a, a child does feel hated when they're never disciplined. And um, even though there may not be hate, that, that, you know, they, 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 the Bible says that you know, God chastens those he loves. And, and there's that sense when we have a, a, a loving relationship with God that we're being loved when we're chastened. And so when a child is never chastened, he almost... Uh, inevitably, or at least it's not unusual, to reject the very person who never chastened him. Because, I mean, if he didn't chasten me in life, uh, uh, you know, growing up, uh, when I was a minor, well, when I come of age, he's not going to chasten me now. And so he's probably thinking uh, his father uh, was not going to uh, chasten him here. It says then in verse 7, And then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. Now that really, really surprises me. <laughs> uh, because, you know, we've been following Joab for a, a long time. It, it, it's actually shocking here that Joab would uh, really depart from David and follow Adonijah. And the reason is, is that for so long, Joab had seen the hand of God on David. I mean, from the very, very beginning when David was running around the, the rocks and the cliffs and, and, and miraculously escaping Saul day after day after day. And, and he had seen all the miracles. Uh, he'd even seen when David was chastened by God. I think of when David went to the land of Philistines and Eventually, he was chastened by God, and, and the whole village of 
the whole city of David there was burnt to the ground. Everything was stolen away. Well, within a few days, David was king. I, you know, and, and Joab had seen this over and over and over and over throughout entire life. Uh, Joab had seen this of David. And, and so you've got to ask yourself, why on earth would he ever have rebelled here? Well, the answer was bitterness. If you remember when... Uh, uh, when Joab, uh, I mean, when, uh, when, when Absalom had rebelled and David had, uh, you know, he had told uh, Joab, look, go out and defeat Absalom, but whatever you do, don't harm Absalom. Well, uh, Joab ignored that and he uh, killed Absalom and uh, he speared him. And then, and then some of the people following Joab, some, some of his privates went and and basically butchered the body, and uh, the dead body. And it was just really a, a degrading kind of thing to do uh, to even a dead body. And, uh, and David found this out. He wound up making Amasa, who was Absalom's general, his general. So even though Joab went and did this amazing act of bravery and uh, defeated Absalom, who was rebelling against David, uh, David turns around and what does he do? He makes Amasa, who had been, ab who, he was a traitor is what he was, but David made this traitor, he made him his general, and uh, of course Joab went out and then killed him, but, uh, but just he was so hurt by David, and uh, even though, you know, we can look at it and we can say, you know, there was justice in what David did in light of the fact that he disobeyed, uh, but he was hurt. And so this is what, what does hurt do? Hurt turns into, after a while, bitterness, and bitterness eventually turns into blindness. And that's what happened to, to Joab. I mean, how in the world at this point does Joab think that he is going to get away from lifting up his hand against David after everything that he had seen uh, his, uh, his whole life. Well, that is what bitterness will, will do. In the long run, bitterness just hurts you. If you have any bitterness towards anyone, uh, know this. The Bible says that your bitterness will grow up and it will defile many, meaning not only your life, but many of the lives of the people around you. And one of the things that bitterness does it blinds you. And so uh, Abiathar uh, was, uh, also went to Adonijah, and that is because Zadok, uh, David had made Zadok, uh, uh, exalted Zadok above him. So they should have both just submitted to the hand of God. You know, when you get into the situation and you see something that you think is incredibly unfair, the last thing you should do is lift up your hand and try to, in your own strength, overcome it. You just uh, have to let God sort things out and live by faith. Uh, they did not do that, and, uh, and, and, and so they rebelled here. And so, uh, so important uh, for everyone here today. It doesn't matter how much you've been wronged. Uh, it, it doesn't matter uh, who has wronged you. If you don't release it... Uh, your bitterness eventually, it's going to turn into rebellion. Rebellion against what? Rebellion against the Lord and re rebellion against the very people who love you. So verse 9 says, uh, so Joab uh, goes over to uh, Adonijah, and, and, and man, that's like a big-time defection if there ever was one, when Joab, uh, I was talking to Sam the other day, and we said, well, who would you rather meet in a, a dark alley, Joab or Jephthah? And uh, Joab, uh, Sam chose Joab, but uh, I said I would never want to meet Jephthah, man. That guy, he was like a marauding pirate. Uh, but anyway, um, I wouldn't want to meet either of them in a dark alley. But Joab, I mean, he was one kind of fighting dude. And when he defects, it's time to trust in the Lord. Uh, and so in verse 9 it says, uh, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benina the mighty men, or, or Solomon, his brother. Remember, Adonijah's brother is 
none other than Solomon. And so, it's, you know, you, you, sometimes you forget that Solomon didn't have this nice, sweet succession. Like, you know, I don't know uh, if, if any of you have ever seen some of these ceremonies where, you know, a, a prince is, is, gets the, the crown and becomes king or, or whatever, and it, it, it looks also orderly. Well, uh, we think sometimes that happened with Solomon. It didn't happen at all. Uh, Adonijah, uh, really, he formed a, a rebellion here. So he doesn't invite Nathan for obvious reasons. Nathan was, uh, they knew he was a man of God. And it's the wonderful thing about a man of character or a woman of character. You know you're a man of character or a woman of character when people are not seeking you out to join a rebellion. Uh, that's that's uh, uh, something worth thinking and meditating on, uh, that they never even asked uh, Nathan here to join uh, the rebellion. And so uh, Adonijah, what does he do here? He's throwing a huge party and, and has everyone meet him in Zohaleth. Now, it, it probably should have been a, a little suspicious. Uh, it should have roused a little suspicion that um, Adonijah is throwing the party in a place called Zohaleth. means uh, serpent or snake. So he's uh, you know, throwing this party at the stone of the snake. And, and, and so, um, I, I don't know if that raised any suspicion, but uh, uh, anyway. Uh, so he doesn't invite Nathan, and in verse 11 says, So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Uh, of course, if... Uh, Adonijah had succeeded there, what's the first thing he would have done? He would have gone and uh, killed Solomon. And so um, it says in verse 13, Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become a king? Then, while you are still uh, talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was serving, with, uh, serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did, did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? And then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon... Your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers, that I and my son, Solomon, will be counted as offenders. In other words, will be killed. Verse 22. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And so Nathan goes on, and he confirms um, uh, what is going on. And it says at the end of verse 25, he says, yeah, they're, they're eating and drinking over there at the stone of the snake, and they're, uh, and, they're, and they're saying, long live King Adonijah. Not the way you want to close out the, the hours of your, your life. Again, David had a stormy life that ends here uh, in a storm. Uh, verse 26, but he has not invited me, uh, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. And so then, in, uh, before we go to verse 28, it's interesting how Nathan sets this up here. He, uh, why do you suppose he, di he did this? It almost looks like he's conniving a, a little here. You mean he first has Bathsheba go in, and then he uh, follows uh, at her heels. Well, uh, the Bible says, uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, in the mouth of two witnesses, every word shall be established. And so he wanted to make sure that, th that this is not just coming across as gossip. I mean, can you imagine how much gossip and, 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 and false reports or uh, reports that are sort of not black or white, but they're shaded in, in gray, a king gets 
I mean, probably just all the time, you know, with all the intrigue going on. And, and, um, and, and so, so Nathan knows the importance. He, first of all, he knows the Mosaic law, and uh, he knows the importance of getting two witnesses. Jesus in Matthew 18 stresses the same thing, uh, the importance of bringing two witnesses whenever there's a problem amongst Christians. Uh, Paul says the same thing to Timothy. When you confront an elder, make sure you do it with two witnesses. Uh, so uh, no accusation apart from the confirmation of two people. I heard about this one pastor who uh, he, you know, he's so used to people coming up and saying, you know, I heard about this person. They're doing this and that. And after a while, he he, he was so tired of, of, of this type of thing where there's just, there's not the confirmation of two witnesses. There's just a report that he just, every time someone was coming up to him with a report, he, he would say, okay, may I quote you on that? And, and because, you know, I need you as a source uh, of the report so I can get a confirmation uh, from someone else. And inevitably, people said, well, no, no, I, I actually would prefer not to be quoted. And, and so he would sort of just let the whole thing die, and he'd never hear about it again. I heard about actually another pastor who kept a large book on his desk, and whenever someone came into his office uh, with a report, he'd say, okay, well, thank you very much. Would you please write down what that report is with your name underneath it? And, and the guy was like pastor for, I don't know, 22 years or something, and no one ever signed the thing. But uh, so anyway, it's one, one idea. If you don't want to hear gossip, say, well, can I quote you on that? Well, no, 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 I, I'd actually prefer that you not. But uh, anyway, uh, important, uh, importance of getting two witnesses because the, the, the devil, Satan, just loves to sow division, um, you know, through sort of slanderous reports can happen in the body of Christ. We need to be very careful that we don't volunteer ourselves as becoming sort of a cesspool of all the, the sort of gossip and slander, uh, even uh, uh, being that type of person in a church, which um, there are those kind of people who are willing to be just that. So anyway, it says uh, in verse 28, then King David answered and says, call Bathsheba to me. So she came back. And verse 29, it says, uh, And the king took an oath and said, as, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, here's another distress that he's going to have to be redeemed from, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon and your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my uh, place, so I certainly will do uh, uh, this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call to, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before him. And the king said, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come up and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord be. Uh, may the Lord God of my Lord, the king, uh, say so too. And so um, this is what they did. And uh, they, Solomon gets on a mule, and he was taken to Z Gihon, and they blew the trumpet, and they say, Long live King Solomon. And it says, All the people, in verse 40, went up after him. The people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. And so that is truly worshiping God. Uh, worshiping. Actually, they weren't. Um, I don't know if they were worshiping God there, but they were celebrating uh, the, that uh, you know, a reign of 40 years had ended. King Solomon has been crowned king. And it says in verse 41 now, And Adonijah and all the guests were with him heard it, and they finished eating. It says, when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest, and Adonijah said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. 
Then Jonathan answered and said, no, no, Lord King, David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the, the, uh, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. And also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he uh, make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed down on the bed. And also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it. And then verse 49 it says, So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. There's commitment for you, real, real commitment there. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, when people gather around a, a rebellion, uh, oftentimes they're doing it not because of the nobility of the cause, because they're, but they're doing it because they're trying to get something out of it. And those kind of people uh, will... Uh, will leave you as soon as trouble comes. And so now Adonijah, I mean, he's all by himself. In verse 4, it says, Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of, the King, Sol of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And so there was this, if, if you remember, on the altar in the, uh, in the tabernacle, remember when the, the place where they have the, the sacrifices, or they made the sacrifices, for those who, who have been with us you know, since uh, we studied this in, in Exodus and Leviticus, they, they put horns on the corners of the altar. Why? So they could tie up the sacrifice that was being, you know, burnt or, or, or put to death. That's how they, they would tie it up there. And so there was this practice that people had to go grab the horns of the altar and they just became convinced that, well, you know, I'm on the altar of God and therefore uh, people owe me this mercy, they owe me this grace. And really all it was was superstition. But from, from the looks of it, it really does appear that it was honored. I mean, people have this thing about, you know, four walls, a church building or something. You know, I can't go in there and commit a murder. You know, if they come out, I can do it. I can't do it if he's grabbing the horns of the altar. Uh, so for the most part, it was honored. But it was, all it was was people taking advantage of the altar of, uh, of God. Uh, and, and, and so that is what Adonijah does here. And, you know, you read this and you say, oh boy, this guy's going to be put to death. But it says in verse 52, uh, Solomon said, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before the King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, go to your house. In other words, go to your room, you know. That'd be nice to tell your brother that, you know. Go to your room. Oh, wow, he actually goes. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, th that's what he does to his, uh, to his, um, to his brother. So Adonijah, uh, he's going to, he's gonna, his, his uh, rebellious head is going to uh, rise up again. Uh, but um, he, for, for now, he, he is let go. Interesting that Solomon is led uh, on a mule, and you think, why a mule and not a horse? Well, in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, uh, a mule was a symbol of peace. So it was an animal of peace, whereas a horse was an animal of conquest. So a, a king would uh, ride into battle on a horse. But if it, was, um, if it was a peaceful meeting that he was seeking, he would ride in on a mule. Of course, we know that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, and so he was the Prince of Peace. Um, we also know that when Jesus returns in the book of Revelation, uh, he's not going to be coming on a mule. Uh, he's going to be coming on a horse, and 
he's going to have tens of thousands of saints behind him, and it's going to be a mighty army. Uh, but here, uh, he is presented as a, as a man of peace. Um, long live, and they say long live uh, King uh, Solomon. And so, uh, chapter 2, uh, let's continue. It says in chapter 2, It says, now the, uh, the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. This is an interesting verse. Prove yourself a man. Now, I wonder why he said that. I, I do think that there's a strong possibility of the fact that, I mean, Solomon... Uh, did not have an upbringing like David. I mean, David w was brought up uh, in basically living under the open sky, uh, battling bears, literally, sh uh, lions, literally. You know, he slew giants. And I've, as I've, I've gone back to constantly, he, for 10 years the guy lived in, uh, you know, nooks and crannies in the wilderness with Solomon chasing after him every day. And he was a man of war. I mean, he knew what it was like to fight and, you know, just an amazing man of war. Solomon said, well, what do you say? I'll, I, I'll, I'll give you my daughter if you go get a hundred uh, foreskins of Philistines. And he went and got 200. It's, I may have my numbers wrong, but... Um, uh, what's that? So, oh, that's right. When, when Saul told him, I'll give you my, thank you, when I give you, I'll give you my daughter if you go do that. And he, he, he was just an amazing warrior, and he was so accomplished. But, but Solomon uh, never uh, knew what it was like to face a giant. He never knew what it was like to live out in the open sky with, with um, you know, exposed to, uh, not only the cold, but to, to lions and bears, and he ne probably never even knew what it was hungry to be like to be hungry. It, he just he he grew up with with soft clothing, and uh, we don't really know. Uh, but uh, it, it could very well be that that you know he didn't have tremendous affection for um, for Solomon. We do know he had tremendous affection for Absalom. Uh, Absalom. Uh, Absalom, you know, we mourned tremendously over Absalom's death, but here Solomon, uh, you know, he's saying, prove yourself a man. In verse 3 it says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. I tell you, uh, when, when, when someone is on their deathbed, uh, it particularly, uh, most particularly, a godly man or a godly woman, oh boy, should we keep our ears open because uh, what you have there distilled is the, just all the wisdom and all the experience of their life. Uh, so important here. Uh, keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, and that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And then verse 4, it says, That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their ways to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then in verse 5, we see, see this very interesting verse here. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jeshua, whom he killed, and he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war in his belt that was around his waist and, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And see, 
you have with you Shimei, the uh, son of Gerud, Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me when Amosis cursed on the day when I went to Mahanim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan. I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put, him, uh, put you to death with the, with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know uh, what you ought to do to him. But bring his hair, gray hair down to the grave with blood. I think it's interesting twice here that um, Solomon's very young here. I think he's still under 20. And uh, David refers twice to the fact, to his wisdom. So apparently Solomon was already really showing this gift. Now, I, I know Solomon prays for it at a later time, but, but uh, David's referring here uh, to his, his wisdom. Verse 9, Now therefore uh, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that um, there's, there's, a, there's a, a legitimate question here. You know, why is David doing this? I mean, this is pretty sad that his dying words are uh, one, to, you know, kill Joab, and two, kill Shimei. And uh, this is not like the David where, where, where we saw him, really, when he was sort of at the zenith of his spirituality where he had an amazing capacity to forgive and to, um, you know, just to, to, to forgive and to let go of past wrongs. And uh, I personally believe that, you know, he's, he's not necessarily finishing very well here in, in what he's ordering. Uh, that it, particularly with Shimei, who was a man who David, he, he cursed David when David was leaving Jerusalem. Remember, David was leaving Jerusalem. Uh, he was fleeing Absalom. And then you have this guy, Shimei, who was uh, uh, in the tribe of Benjamin, which, remember, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Shimei was cursing him. And, and one of David's own generals said, look, I, I, how, why are you letting this this dead dog curse you. Let me go chop his head off. And, and David actually recognized, he says, no, don't do that because uh, the Lord is punishing me here uh, for, for, my, you know, for my transgressions, referring to his, his sin with Bathsheba and, and the murder that he had committed. And so it was just such an incredible thing that he recognized that. And then, and then when David was brought back to power, Shimei came and asked for forgiveness. David gives it to him. And now here, David seems to be reneging on it. I personally think uh, that this is not a good thing. David's filled with physical pain. He's, he's weary. He's tired. And, and, and uh, you know, he's not finishing well. However, there's a completely different view here, uh, which may be in the majority, which is what he's really doing here is he knows his son Solomon. <laughs> his son Solomon grew up with nothing but soft clothing, uh, and David's leaving, and there's only one guy on the face of the earth get, that can face a guy like Joab. Who's that? David. And David's going. And, 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 and David's thinking, my son Solomon, with all the guile that Joab has, is going to be, he's going to be dead meat. You know, it, it, as soon as I'm off the scene. And so I'm going to warn him now, and I'm going to tell him, look, you've got to go get this guy, and you've got to kill him. Now, I, I think, uh, the, and then the, the, the same explanation is given with Shimei, that the guy is, he, he's a, he, he is sort of a, a shyster type, you know, Shimei. It's like when things were going bad, you know, he was cursing David. Uh, you know, he sort of sniffs the wind. And, 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 and it's, uh, when things are going good with David, he's the first back. It, 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 you know, he's one of these guys who just leaves you in bad times and comes back and... And, and, you know, he, he's bound to do the same thing uh, when Solomon gets into trouble. Um, you know, still, who knows uh, which one is uh, right. You need to read it on your own and come up with your own conclusions. Ultimately, uh, it's not tremendously important. Uh, but um, he, he, he says to Solomon, look, these two guys, Joab and Shimei, you better kill them. You're a wise man. You know what to do. You better kill them. And then it says in verse 10, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, the period uh, that David reigned, 
uh, over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. In Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was uh, firmly established. And so, uh, you know, David, uh, just this amazing, amazing uh, man. Uh, and I don't know about you, but to me, he's just such an example of a man uh, to, to, to follow his example in so many ways, a man after God's own heart, a man who knew how to worship, a man who just was willing to just live on the front uh, line for the Lord. Uh, we've been following him for quite some time now. Verse 10 of chapter 2 of 1 Kings, he rests with his fathers and is buried in the city of David. Psalm 90, which actually I think Moses wrote, says that the years of man are threescore and ten, 70 years, which is an interesting thing for a guy who lived to 120. He was 120, right, when he died, Moses? I think he was. Uh, but he just, re Moses recognized that it, by that time, that was the average life of a man was threescore and ten years, 70 years. Uh, in God's economy, um, that is the average. It was a little different before the time of Noah and for a little while after. But as, as sin began to take its hold on sort of the physical body and, and the physical realm, uh, the ages have, have greatly re reduced. And, uh, you know, D David lived the average life, but it does say that he began his uh, reign when he was uh, 30 years old. And you know, 30 is an interesting age. Uh, Jesus also uh, began, his, well, he began his ministry uh, when he was 30. Joseph became prime minister when he was 30. Of, of Egypt, Ezekiel became uh, began to prophesy. Uh, John the Baptist began his ministry, and uh, you know I, I don't give a tremendous amount of credence to just that particular age. But it is interesting that uh, in in many many cases the age of thirty is used uh, as an age where where people really can you know the, the, there's a long period of, there's a period of preparation before that age. Uh, but, uh, you know, at 30, uh, people start um, uh, really being used by the Lord uh, after, you know, uh, a considerable time, though, of, of preparation there. Uh, and so, so important that we do dedicate um, um, our, our lives and ministry to raising up uh, young uh, people to, to take over. And uh, so, uh, but anyway... Uh, let's continue. In, in verse uh, 13, it says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Uh, so she said to him, Do you come peaceably? And he, said, uh, he, and he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. Then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now ask one petition of you. Do not deny me. She said to him, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shumamite, as wife. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but every time I read this, I'm like, is this guy out of his mind? I mean, this is just crazy. Why would he ever, ever do this? Um, but, but just as we talked about earlier, uh, about how bitterness blinds, well, ambition will blind you too. Ambition, selfish ambition will blind you. Uh, the dangerous thing about selfish ambition is oftentimes we don't see it in our own lives. We have to pray that the Lord will reveal it to us. I mean, come on. At, uh, the guy who had led a rebellion against his own father and was, was not successful, and he wants his father's concubine? I, 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 I mean, you know, this, this is just, um, you know, we've already seen and we've already learned what this would symbolize if this woman was given to him. Remember what Absalom did when he came in Jerusalem and took over the palace? He went into David's concubines, which was a symbol of the whole city that now he was the head, head hog now. <laughs> he was the head hog. He was the, he, he, he was the man in charge. And, uh, you know, it's pretty clear what he's doing here. His ambition has blinded him. Uh, and then it says... In verse 18, so Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak 
for you to the king. And then you have to say, well, now, wait a second. Why on earth would Bathsheba um, do that? Why would she do that? Well, she winds up speaking to the king, and the, it says the king arose, and, and, um, and it says that the king, down verse 22, says, now, why do you ask uh, Abishag, for Abishag the Shumamite, for Adonijah, ask for him the kingship also? For he is my older brother, his older brother, <laughs> for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. And so um, it says, Then the king Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so uh, to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of, of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So Adonijah sent uh, by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And so, uh, I mean, you could see that one coming. And I think the answer to the fact that, um, the answer to the question of why Bathsheba went in to ask him is because she knew what was going to happen. <laughs> if she knew if, uh, you know, one reaction of maybe someone a little less shrewd is, well, I'm never going to do that. Why would I ever do something like that? Uh, because if you succeed in getting uh, the woman, you may be recognized as, as the king. But she knew that what Solomon's reaction was going to be more likely than not uh, shrewd uh, woman, and uh, she does it. And so Adonijah... Um, uh, is killed there. And then verse 26, it says, And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth. Now remember, Abiathar had sided with Adon Adonijah. And so by this time, the king's saying, Now wait a second. I needed to have second thoughts about Abiathar, who had sided with Adonijah. It could very well be that they, he was behind this. And I also have to have second thoughts about who? Joab. Because he was willing for a while to, to, to see what they were going to do and, and grant them their life, an amazing restraint when you think about it. But uh, he, he patience, patiently waits on the Lord, asks the Lord to basically to expose their sin. Uh, the sin is exposed by uh, Adonijah going to him. And, and, and so he, he basically exiles uh, Abiathar. And then, uh, it, it, again, verse 27, So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest uh, to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now, interestingly enough, for those of you who remember Eli, who had trained Samuel but who had allowed his son to do incredibly wicked things and, and, and Samuel had prophesied that Eli's uh, line would be cut off, it's not cut off until now. Uh, here in verse 27, because Abiathar was, was a, a, in the line of Eli. So it's not until now that, um, that the, uh, the, the prophecy is fulfilled. Sometimes prophecy, um, when the Lord tells you something, or when the Lord tells the prophet something, it, it takes a long time uh, for it to become fulfilled. And then, you know, by this time, Joab is, uh, when he's hearing about this, he's shaking in his boots. And it says in verse 28, Then the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took hold of the horns of the altar. So he's thinking, he, he killed Adonijah. He's banished this other guy. He's going to come after me. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and, and said to uh, him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he says, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back a word to the king, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on, on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and he killed them with a sword. Abner, remember that was uh, Saul's general, the son of Ner, 
the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, remember that was Absalom's general, the son of Jethar, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. And so um, he goes, and at verse 34, he strikes down Joab, uh, and he kills him. You know, I... Um, What happened here, in my opinion, supports the view that when Solomon heard, when David told him, just go out and kill these people, I don't know, I think it supports the view that, you know, just to, to go out and just do it immediately uh, may not have been the right thing. What Solomon does here is is so wise, he, he just allows the Lord to make it just incredibly obvious. And, and you know, when we, when we are take, making major, major decisions in our life, we need, we need to pray that the Lord would make it very clear, very obvious, that he would just give us a, 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 a peace, which he has promised uh, to give us, and that he would just also... Just make it very, very clear. Because really, to anyone else, it could be said that, yeah, Solomon should immediately, without no further ado, he should immediately, first thing, you know, when David dies, he should not wait a second. You know, wait for the funeral, David's funeral, but then go out and kill Joab. But notice here how he shows restraint. He waits on the Lord, and the Lord reveals him so clearly what he is supposed to do. And you know the great thing about waiting on the Lord is that after the fact, when you look back, you know it's the Lord. You know it was the Lord who did it. Because it, it, it wasn't you acting, uh, you know, sort of on your own uh, unction or whatever. It was the Lord that really, really brought about uh, the circumstances. And so, um, I don't know. You know, Solomon does, doesn't end well at all himself. Uh, but he does show a remarkable amount of wisdom. And, that, and again, I think it's really interesting that even before he prays uh, for the wisdom, um, he, he, you know, he already has a measure of it here. Uh, then let's finish out the uh, chapter. What time is it right now? Five to eight. Now it's poor Shimei. Now you know by this time the Lord's exposed the sin of, 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 uh, of Joab. The Lord's going to do the same thing with Shimei. <laughs> then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from, from there anywhere. So it's interesting. He doesn't go and kill him, does he? Really interesting. You know, it's, it's almost as if Solomon, you know, saw in David's words. He, he said, you know, there's something not right about this. I'm just going to wait on the Lord and, and, and see what happens. He doesn't immediately kill Shimei. But he says, look, I want you in Jerusalem, and I don't trust you. I don't want you to go anywhere. Verse 37, for it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, and they, said, and they told Shimei and said, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish in Gath to seek his slaves. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone back to Jerusalem and Gath, to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I, I heard is good. Why then have you... Uh, not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you. The king said, Moreover to Shimei, you know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the king will return to your wickedness on your own head, return your wickedness on your own head, but King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus the king was established in the hand of Solomon. And so, you know, I think there's a very good lesson here, by the way, 
Shimei exposes his heart, and I can't tell you how many times, how many times, I'm in a, a, some sort of counseling session, and someone feels they need to disobey the word of God because, and they have like a really good reason in the natural for doing so. You know, in this particular case, Shimei had a really good reason to disobey the king. I mean, his two slaves had, had, uh, had escaped and gone to another city. I mean, they're his property. And, 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 but the problem is, is that he had been told what he was supposed to do. And, and, and so often I, 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 I come back to this in counseling. I just come back to it in my own life. You know, we can make up so many reasons where it'll, it'll, it'll just look so logical. Like there's such a great, good argument. In order to protect our own well-being, we've got to do this thing or that thing. But if it's contrary to the Word of God, and it's contrary to what the Lord has clearly spoken in your life, no, <laughs> you don't do that. And, 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 and so, you know, here he falls victim to the thing that I've seen uh, Christians fall into time after time after time. Uh, you know, he does something that he, he makes a, com he compromises because, you know, it appears in the natural that, you know, he, he really has to do so in order to sort of preserve his, his possessions and things. And so he could have gone to the king. He could have gone to Solomon. And, and so he, he exposes himself. It's interesting at the end it says, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And so, you know, this guy Shimei uh, apparently was viewed as someone who, who, you know, if there was foment or rebellion, would have been sort of a key player or could have been a key player. Maybe as a wealthy man, I, I don't know. Uh, but the kingdom uh, here established at the hand of Solomon. And so uh, we will be continuing our study now in the life of Solomon. And we'll uh, continue that next week. Uh, for prayer tonight, if you'd like to uh, stay for prayer, Scott, did you remember the surge prayer list? You gave it to me? You're, you're blaming me. Scott's blaming me. See if I can remember here. You think between us we can remember what to pray for for Surge? I, I, I know there was a couple things. Surge remembers the, the, actually there was like four or five things. Uh, Surge remembers the missionary that we're supporting uh, in, in Port-au-Prince. He's down there and he's, he's beginning the work of God. and He's, he's looking around for uh, a place to rent. And I think that was one of the prayer requests. So he's looking for a, a place to rent because you can't have a Bible study at your own house because people will come into your house, they'll scope it out, and you'll get kidnapped. So he's looking for a place to rent. Let's remember to pray for that. You know, it's no, it's no, there's no purpose at all in financially supporting our missionaries if we're not praying for them. It's so important to pray for them. So pray for a place to rent. And then he also asked for physical protection. He, he shared with us that he was, um, it's pretty crazy because his, 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 his daughter, Dina, goes to our church. And I can't imagine my, my father, when I'm in college, be, having to focus um, on school when these types of things are happening to her father. But this is what's going on. So he's walking through the neighborhood and like a gun battle just breaks out, uh, you know, on, his, on the street he's on or something. And everyone runs off the street. He runs into a school. And it's just like, I, I think it's just like this classic story because there's a Bible study going on in the school. They all hear the gunfire, but they could care less. You know, that, that's going on out there. We're not going to make, that, that, that's not going to be an excuse for us to continue studying the Word of God. He said it really convicted him. So anyway, but for physical protection. Uh, and then, what was in the, his, his wife is coming down, so we can pray for that as, as well. Oh, yeah, okay, so just the need for a worship leader and, and, and people to come around them. And then also there may be a, a team uh, from his home church coming down there, and he's wondering whether it's the right time and this type of thing, so, uh, and if, it, if they're going to come to prepare him. So uh, let's, let's come alongside of him. It's going to be 
just an enormous challenge. I mean, you can only imagine the challenges. Uh, he, he was very successful uh, in the business world just to leave all that uh, with all the amenities to go down uh, and, and plant something and, and just all the chaos now which is going on in the capital of Haiti. So uh, let's remember uh, to pray for him this evening. Also, one other thing, we're trying to uh, finalize our, uh, our travel arrangements to Peru. And so if you could please uh, pray for the flight schedule. We, we haven't bought the tickets yet. We're having difficulty finding, uh, finding fares. I mean, we found some that we can use. They're not necessarily optimal, but uh, that, that we would find the right perfect flight, the one that God wants us to be on, if you could, uh, if you could pray for that as well. So uh, if you're leaving, God bless you. If you want to come back and pray in about 10 minutes, Please do. God bless you.